Please, <clears throat> please open your Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 9, and follow along with me as I read verses 10 through 13. And I ask you to rise in honor of the reading of God's word to stand. That's Matthew chapter 9, verses 10 through 13. Now it happened, as Jesus sat at the table in the house, that behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? When Jesus heard that, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a, of a physician, but those who are sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. The title of the message, and it's in your bulletin, is The Strategic Purpose for the Ministry of Healing. Okay, and I see that uh, MJ could, could actually read it, so that's a good sign. And so I want to, first of all, just introduce today's topic and then also welcome our online audience and for those who are watching online we welcome you we really appreciate your presence with us even though we don't see you you can see us and see what's going on over here and for those who are interested are uh, if you want to hear more messages like this you can go to middletownportlandsda.org that's our church website and then I also have my own personal YouTube page called Path of Prophecy. You can subscribe to that and you'll see exclusive content there that you won't find anywhere else. So let's begin with a word of prayer. Father in heaven, we want to thank you for bringing us safely through another week. And it's my prayer that as we examine this theme for this morning, that the grace and the power of your Holy Spirit would be with us to help clarify for our own minds why, as a body of believers, we've been entrusted with such a beautiful way of ministering to others, and that's through the ministry of healing. Uh, just as Phil shared uh, with, with us during prayer time how he was able to minister to this individual who had been suicidal, and yet he was able to talk to him and to encourage him in the ministry, through the ministry of healing. And so, Father, I pray that we would grasp this idea as to what it entails, how it can work, how it can function within this local body of believers. And I pray that uh, your peace would rest upon us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. The strategic purpose for the ministry of healing you know, Seventh-day Adventists, we have been commissioned to give to the world the Bible, what I believe to be the Bible's most sobering message, second only perhaps to that that Noah gave to the antediluvians just before the flood. Because for those people who lived just before the flood, when they received the message that Noah gave to them, that was the final warning. If they would not repent, if they failed to repent, then they would lose their salvation for all eternity. And so the message that Noah preached to them, 
was absolutely vital to their entire being. And we are faced with another situation in which God has commissioned the Seventh-day Adventist people to give a peculiar message to the world at this time in Earth's history. And this message really stands as uh, essentially symbolic, really, of all that comes before it, which is everything from Genesis to Revelation. But it is really encompassed in this very succinct message known as the three angels message found in the book of Revelation chapter 14 and verses 6 through 12. And I'd like to review it with you here and now. Um, there really is no other message like this because the reason this is the last message is because it's found in the last book of the Bible. Okay, There is no other book that follows after the book of Revelation. And uh, as a consequence, there's no other message within the book of Revelation that has a message after this message. Okay, so this is Earth's final message. And as we saw in the offering, uh, North Korea is one of those nations where we don't have a visible church that might be invisible because of communism and people are hiding and the church is still meeting there and we have we do have means of reaching uh, North Korea by way of radio ministry or other uh, means but of course there may be censorship and those issues may be taking place but the message is going to all the world and so we can praise God for that but after this message is given and Jesus returns to gather his people, the wicked are consumed and time is no more. So about these, this particular message that Seventh-day Adventists are called to preach, number one, this message is found in the last book of the Bible. So there is no other message that follows after it. Number two is that where this message falls in the book of Revelation, there's no message that follows after it in the book of Revelation. And number three, after Jesus returns, there's no other message. That's it. Time as we know it has ended. And so this message is absolutely crucial to go to all the world. The question is, what message is this? Well, as I said, it's found in Revelation chapter 14, verses 6 through 12. Here's what it says. Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth. To every nation, tribe, tongue, and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to Him, for the hour of His judgment has come. And worship Him who made heaven and earth, the sea, and springs of water. The second angel says, Another angel followed, saying, Babylon has fallen, has fallen that great city, because she has made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. And then the third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and his image and receives his mark on his forehead or on his hand, he himself shall also drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out full strength into the cup of his indignation. He shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the Lamb, 
and the smoke of their torment ascends forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night who worship the beast and his image, and whoever receives the mark of his name. The message concludes, and here is the patience of the saints. Here are those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. Now, that is a very challenging message. Would you agree? Okay, it's not that it's a harsh message. It's not that it's an unkind message. It's just that it's a very difficult message. Okay? But do you want to know something that makes it even more difficult to deliver? It's this. I found this one day on an apartment door, and this is what it says. I have my own religion. Do not knock on my door promoting yours. I respect your religion. Please respect mine. So what it caused me to do was to think, because as I was going through this apartment complex, this is what was on the individual's door. And what kind of a message does this communicate to you? Stay away. I don't want to have anything to do with what you feel obligated to share with me. And that's because I have my own religion. But we have to remember that religion doesn't save us. Only Jesus saves us, right? My religion doesn't save me. Jesus is, what, is who died on the cross. My religion didn't die on a cross, okay? And yet, we have to give this all-important message called the three angels' message to people who live behind a door with a sign like this on their door. So how do you reach somebody like that? Well, we have the three angels' message on one hand, a message that we have to t carry to the whole world, to every nation, kindred, tribe, tongue, and people. And then we have people saying, I don't want what you have to say, okay? But here's the question. Are Seventh-day Adventists commissioned to introduce people to a religion or to a person? Yeah, to a person. We have been commissioned to introduce people to a person, not to a religion, okay? not to a religion. The three angels' message, however, is the capstone of the entire Bible, and the entire Bible is a revelation, not of a religion, but of a person. So that makes the, 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 uh, the task of bringing this particular message to people who are behind a door with this sign on it a little bit easier. Would you say that? Because if you have to get a message behind a door with a sign like that on, yeah, that can be intimidating. But we have to remember that we're called to introduce people to a person, not to a religion. Amen? We're called to introduce people to a person, not a religion. The question, though, is how do you introduce them to that person? 
Is there a specific method by which we can follow? Is there a specific practice that we can follow? Is there a pattern that we can follow, like, like you would a map, okay? Or a, a, a blueprint to a, a creating some object or something like that? Well, this is what the pen of inspiration tells us in the book Ministry of Healing, page 143. And it says the following. Christ's method alone will give true success in reaching the people. What was that? Christ's method and Christ's method alone will give what kind of success? True success in reaching the people. The text goes on to say, The Savior mingled with men as one who desired their good. He showed his sympathy for them, ministered to their needs, and won their confidence. Then he bade them, Follow me. That particular counsel gives us instruction as to how we are to introduce people to Jesus. We are to first mingle with people as one who desires their good, as one who looks out for their interests, okay, rather than our own interests. So really, what we ought to be doing is, is not so much interested in growing the church, but interested in other people's welfare, okay? Because as we show interest in them, we can then minister to their needs, win their confidence, and then what? Then we can invite them to follow, okay? So there's a specific pattern that God has given us as to we are, what we are to do and follow so that we can be as effective as Jesus in soul winning. So although this council was written over 100 years ago, it reveals a very simple yet profound method for effective evangelism, even in a very complex 21st century world. So there is a strategic purpose for the ministry of healing. And if Seventh-day Adventists are to take seriously and follow this pattern of inspired counsel, we are clear to understand that we are not to introduce people to a religion, but we are commissioned to introduce people to a person, to Jesus the Christ. The question is, how do we go about this task? What will be our specific strategy? And how will we face the growing prejudice of the world towards religion? Well, let me share the following counsel. This is Ministry of Healing, page 19. And it says, during his ministry, Jesus devoted more time to healing the sick than to preaching. His miracles testified to the truth of his words, that he came not to destroy, but to save. The reason Jesus came was not to destroy sinners, but to save sinners.
okay? To save sinners. That's good news, amen? So when we share Jesus, we should be sharing the good news of Jesus. Why He has come to this earth. Because He came to seek and to save that which is lost. Now, what I want to invite you to do is go to our Bibles, and we're going to see exactly this particular uh, paragraph or statement illustrated through Scripture. So during His ministry, Jesus devoted what? More time to doing what? Healing the sick than even to doing what? Preaching. And His miracles testified to the truth of His words that He came not to destroy, but to save. So I want to invite you to go to your Bibles, Matthew chapter 4, verses 12 to 16. Matthew chapter 4 and verses 12 to 16, and it says this. Now when Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he departed to Galilee, and leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is by the sea in the regions of Zebulun and Naphtali, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light, and upon those who sat in the region in the shadow of death, light has dawned. So what Matthew is doing at this point is he's quoting a passage of Scripture from Isaiah, and in this particular passage of Scripture, Matthew is citing it to explain to his audience why Jesus moved to this region. He, he actually moved there from Nazareth, after John was put in prison, to relocate and to anchor or to set up his base of ministry in the Galilean regions. And what Matthew is doing is he's pointing out to his audience, particularly a Jewish audience, that this meets a fulfillment of Bible prophecy. That this Jesus who I am writing about, whom I'm talking about, he actually fulfills Bible prophecy because he came to live in the Galilean region where the people of Galilee, excuse me, where the people of Galilee had very little knowledge of God. It was so, the people were living in such ignorance that Matthew says that these people essentially were sitting in darkness. And darkness is a metaphor for spiritual ignorance. But what Jesus did when He came to live in Galilee, He brought light to the region. He brought light to illuminate their minds and their hearts so that they could understand what God is like. Okay? Now, He did more than just move there. He did more than just buy a house and relocate to that region. <clears throat> he actually ministered to that region. <coughs> Excuse me. And here's what he had to say, what Matthew says about this. Matthew chapter 4, <clears throat> beginning in verse 17, says, From that time Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, excuse me, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, 
saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Then he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Nick, if I could ask you to just notch up the microphone just a little bit, because I feel like I have to project a lot more and work harder, and I think that's stressing my voice. Thank you very much. So <clears throat> what Jesus did after he moved, he began his ministry in this area, and he met these fishermen, Peter and Andrew and James and John, and he began ministering not only to them, but then he began to invite them to follow him. And he said, come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. So he invited these fishermen, Peter, Andrew, James, and John, and others, to follow him in his ministry. And here's what he did next. Pay attention to this found in Matthew chapter 4, verses 23 to 25. It says, And Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease among the people. You know, last week I presented this message over at the Framingham Church, and uh, uh, there was a doctor there. I can't remember her name right now off the top of my head. Dr. Chandler from the Framingham Church, and we have a, another medical professional in our midst with MJ here. And MJ, I never knew really that you could make a distinction between sickness and disease, okay? Uh, you could maybe shed some light on that later on as we're sitting around potluck or something, I don't know. But Matthew makes that distinction. And I find it absolutely fascinating that Really, it, it shows the totality and the completeness of Jesus' ministry. And it goes on even further. It doesn't stop there. But it, it's, I just want you to grasp that as to the impact that Jesus had on these individuals who he was ministering to. It says he was healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease among the people then his fame went throughout all Syria, and they brought to him all sick people who were afflicted with various diseases and torments, and those who were demon-possessed, epileptics and paralytics, and he healed them. But the Bible goes on to say great multitudes followed him from Galilee and from Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and beyond the Jordan. Now, folks, it's very important to understand this. This happened before Facebook. This happened before Instagram. This happened before YouTube. You know, I have a YouTube video, and I look forward to the day when a video will go viral. Okay? I try to put my efforts and energy when I create a video, thinking, man, maybe this will be it. I've had a few that went to 1,500. That's my best video, okay? But if, if there were people following around Jesus in his day with cameras, you know, they'd be doing this, right? They'd be filming him and recording him and all this. What he would be doing would be going viral. That's essentially what it's describing, okay? It'd be all over social media, all over. 
but Jesus did this without social media, which illustrates even more the impact that he had on the people of his day. Because, you know, the people of his day, they didn't really have much to look forward to. They were under the thumb of, or really the boot of Rome, okay? They were an oppressed society. The majority of the people were poor. They had to struggle. They didn't know from day to day where their next meal was going to come from. I heard this from a preacher once. He was talking about uh, the Lord's Prayer and why the Lord said, give us this day our daily bread is because at that time in Earth's history, in that re particular region of the world, 85%, 90% of the people didn't know where their next meal was coming from. Okay? It was a very difficult world to live in. And, and so they didn't have to look forward to a whole lot. You know, a lot of people are looking forward at this time to how their teams are going to do, because football season's about to start, and basketball season's going to start, and this team, and, you know, on the way over here, <clears throat> I saw a sign on Route 91. It said that the Powerball lottery is a half a, half a billion dollars. So in our day, there's a lot of distractions. There's a lot to occupy your time. If you're not interested in this, you can go to this. If you're not interested in that, you can go to this. If you're not interested in this, you can do something else. But in Jesus' day, there was no television. There was no football season, baseball season, soccer seasons, women's soccer, women's basketball, men's basketball, college basketball, high school basketball. You know, there, there was none of that. It was just get up and make a living so you can go to bed tonight because you've got children. And oh, by the way, our family is hindered because mom is sick or so-and-so is sick and so on and so forth. So when they hear that there's a preacher out there who's not only preaching but who's healing, you think that got people's attention? Facebook or no Facebook, people were there. They were interested. They were engaged. Hey, let me tell you this. And the text says, Great multitudes followed him from Galilee and from Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and beyond the Jordan. Well, what happens next? Well, in Matthew's gospel, we have Matthew's... That's at the very end of Matthew chapter 4. What takes place next is the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. And then there's another passage of Scripture, two chapters, chapters 8 and 9. It starts off by Jesus healing a leper, and then it follows through with Jesus healing the, uh, the Roman centurion servant, and then he heals uh, two demon-possessed men, he raises the dead. He heals the woman with the issue of blood. The uh, one who was raised from the dead was Jairus' daughter. He heals two blind men, a man who was mute and demon-possessed. <coughs> and then it concludes in chapter 9 with the following passage. Now, there were some other uh, dialogues that took place in the Gospel of Matthew in these two chapters. 
but predominantly those two chapters are individual healing accounts where Jesus heals a deaf mute, Jesus heals blind men, Jesus heals a leper, and so on and so forth. But it undergirds this idea that Jesus spent more time preach, uh, healing than he did what? Preaching, okay? But here's what takes place next at the end of chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9, verse 35 to 38 says, Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. Well, that sounds just like Matthew chapter 4, doesn't it? Yeah. Some people were listening here. It says, But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them, because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. So get this picture in your mind. In the Matthew passage, it says, when he went about all this region healing the people, it says great crowds began following him, great multitudes from Jerusalem and Judea and Decapolis and beyond the Jordan. And here he's doing it again. But this time as he's doing it, he has the disciples following him. They're watching him. And he's teaching them. But the crowds have gotten so big and so vast. We have to remember, during this time also, he's feeding the people. He feeds the multitudes. 5,000 men alone, not counting the women and children with five loaves and two fish. And then there's another account where he heals 4,000. If we do the math, perhaps there might have been 25. And these are conservative estimates. 25, 30,000 people? We just don't know. But we know that there was more than just the 5,000. So Jesus is faced with a problem. <clears throat> Do you ever think that Jesus had a problem? He had a problem right here. Listen to him describe the problem. <clears throat> it says, When he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. Okay? So here's the problem. And he says to his disciples, the harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. So there's, we have to understand there are not just hundreds, but thousands of people. And there's only one Jesus. And there's only 24 hours in a day. How is Jesus going to reach even more people than this? Well, he exposes the problem, but then he provides a solution. Amen? <clears throat> yes, folks, Jesus had problems, but you know how he dealt with his problems? Through prayer. Amen? He says, the harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Okay? 
So this passage is very similar to the description that I shared in Matthew chapter 4, verses 23 to 25, but there's a slight problem as I pointed out. Now watch what takes place next. He invites his disciples to pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. And uh, if you're participating in one of these prayer groups and you want to see the church grow, I would ask that you pray this prayer and pray it specifically addressing it to the Lord of the harvest. Amen? That, that's what the instructions say. Don't just pray to Jesus. Pray to the Lord of the harvest. Okay? Why? What difference could that make? Listen, it's what Jesus asked, not what Pastor Tom is asking. Does that make sense? I'm just sharing what Jesus said. So we ought to do what Jesus said, right? So the idea, though, is this. Notice what takes place in Matthew chapter 10. This is immediately after the chapter 9 concludes and chapter 10 begins. It says, And when he had called his twelve disciples to him, he gave them power over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease. These twelve Jesus sent out and commanded them, saying, Do not go into the way of the Gentiles, and do not enter into a city of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as you go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Notice what the purpose of the prayer that was offered in the previous passage. Jesus prayed that prayer to his, Father, to, his, to his Father in heaven, that it would move the heart of God, that God would move the heart of the disciples to see the real need as Jesus saw it, and then invite the disciples to be co-laborers with him by sending them out on their first missionary journey. You understand what took place? The solution to the problem was to take those who had been watching him and empower them to go out and do the very same thing. To heal of every disease and sickness and to raise the dead and to cleanse the lepers, to cast out the demons. No different than what Jesus was doing they were going to be empowered with the same Holy Spirit power to do the very same work, okay? To do a ministry of healing. To perform a ministry of healing. Now, let's fall, go to the end of Matthew's Gospel. Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 to 20 says this, And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father. There's another typo from Pastor Tom. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, 
even to the end of the age. Now let's get a grasp on this, folks. Jesus had been healing people. He was running out of time and energy to do it all himself because there were so many people. So he commissioned his disciples, whom he trained to do that work. Now what's taking place? Well, now Jesus is prepared to ascend to his Father in heaven, but he gives these final instructions. He, say, I, he says, I want you now to go and take the gospel to all the world, but here's what I want you to do. I want you to disciple others to do what I have taught you to do. Okay? Notice what he says. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. So Jesus taught these disciples. Now he was telling them, now you go and make disciples. And what, pray tell, would that include? That would include the ministry of healing. That's not excluded. We, we look at this very frequently as Seventh-day Adventists. We think, well, okay, we've got to teach them the commandments. Well, yeah, that's nothing wrong with that. But he also taught them how to heal. He also taught them how to reach people. And how did he teach them to do that? Well, he ate and drank with publicans and tax collectors. Doesn't mean he got drunk, okay? But he fellowshiped with them. He spent time with sinners. That's why he was accused by the disciples, hey, why do you do this? And he says, well, I don't go to, the, to, to those who are healthy, I go to those who are sick. Okay? That's who I'm going to. That's who I'm spending time with. And he said, I, you know, God says, I desire mercy, not, sacri not sacrifice. Okay? So the initiation of the Great Commission introduced the most radical idea ever in human history, that man would work in cooperation with God to bring the message of salvation to his fellow man for the express purpose of revealing the love of God to a world that even questions the existence of God. You know, that that's what people do nowadays. They question the existence of God. Does God even exist? Okay? That's what Phil was dealing with with this individual. Does, this, does God even hear me? Is God even out there? Okay? There are people who are wrestling with these very issues. And the very fact that there's a Bible is evidence that there is a God. Why? Because it's telling us to a world that's debating whether there is or is not God, saying, yes, there is a God. Okay? So the Bible is evidence that the debates that we have in our mind are real that there really is a God, okay? And the Bible answers succinctly that question. You know, we don't debate whether there's a great pumpkin. We don't debate whether there's a uh, Easter bunny, right? How much time do we spend debating that issue? How many YouTube channels are devoted to debating whether Santa Claus exists or not? I don't know of any. We don't spend great amounts of time debating that issue because it's a non-issue. 
But people debate whether God exists or not because there is this thing called the Great Controversy. And we've been commissioned to help resolve in people's minds that there is a loving God who cares for us. Well, that was back then, the Great Commission. What about now? What about in the 21st century? Well, here's what the Ministry of Healing, page 143, says. The world needs today what it needed 1,900 years ago, a revelation of Christ. A great work of reform is demanded, and it is only through the grace of Christ that the work of restoration, physical, mental, and spiritual, can be accomplished. So what is God calling us to do today Two thousand years after Christ, the same work that He gave to His disciples, He gave this work of his, to His disciples to reveal Christ, because Christ was going up to heaven. Now His character had been downloaded, had been imprinted on the disciples because they had spent so much time with Jesus. But the world is, has grown ignorant of God and His ways. Okay? And so God is saying, what we're counseled to do is give a fresh revelation of Jesus to the world. A fresh revelation of Jesus to the world. But what is, how is this going to happen? Well, there is a work of reform that's to be done amongst God's people, okay? A great work of reform is demanded, not only within the ranks of believers, but also in the world, okay? But how is this going to be accomplished? Through the grace of Christ, amen? Through the grace of Christ. It's not going to be because we grit our teeth and say, you know what, I don't like doing this, but I guess we have to do it. And we're going to try to introduce people to Jesus like that. Hi, I'd like you to meet Jesus. You think that's going to be a fun experience? No. It's going to be the grace of Christ that transforms each and every one of us so that we can take the good news of Jesus to the world. Amen? But this work involves a total restoration of mankind. It's not just sharing, uh, hey, Jesus died on the cross for your sins. It's about ministering to people. How do we know that? Well, listen to this. This is from the Washington Post says that uh, this is just a recent article that uh, was just from a, a few months ago, that I, a few weeks ago that I heard. They're expecting, experts are expecting that by the year 2050, there will be more than one billion people are projected to have diabetes. Yeah. One billion people on planet Earth by the year 2050 will have type 2 diabetes. And bear in mind that with type 2 diabetes, that brings along all a host of other problems, okay? 
because with that comes blindness, with that comes high blood pressure, with that is obesity, with that is amputation, so you have handicapped people, okay, and it just goes on and on and on. That's just, the, the disease itself has tentacles that reach into other areas, okay? <clears throat> In addition to that, there's this problem. There's an obesity crisis, okay? And this is from the Wall Street Journal, and it says that there are people now, uh, it's, the print is too small there and it's not big enough over here, but the idea is that it says to pay for weight loss drugs, some people are taking a second job and they're ringing up credit card debts. What this means is that we have an obesity crisis and praise God, people are recognizing that they're having issues in this area. The challenge is this, that they are going to the drug companies to solve their problems. And the drugs are so expensive that people have to take on a second job or forego a family vacation or so on and so forth, and they are ringing up credit card debt because some of these medications cost $10,000 a year. Yes, $10,000 a year. That's a used car. That's a beautiful cruise. That is uh, several, uh, you know, that's a small down payment on a house. You get the idea. This is the cost of living in today's society and what illness and disease is wreaking havoc on the economy. And do you think people are getting rest when they have to take a second job? No. They're getting more stressed out. Okay? And it's going to cause more problems. But it gets even worse than that. <clears throat> because Gallup poll says U.S. depression rates are now reaching new heights. And this is after COVID. This is not before COVID. And uh, Forbes magazine says... There is a massive health wake-up called depression and anxiety rates have increased by 25% in one year, okay? And what the, what's going on is that the World Health Organization is ringing the bell. They are sending out uh, notices to all government leaders saying, listen, pay attention, anxiety and depression are on the rise you have to do something for your citizens of your country. Okay? So, this is really exciting news, right? By the year 2050, that's uh, 27 years from now, you can expect a billion people on planet Earth to have type 2 diabetes and all that encompasses with it. Obesity is on the rise so much so that people are trying to lose the weight by taking, on, ta uh, taking drugs, which cost so much money they have to take a second job or go into debt, and then depression is on the rise. And that all alone ought to depress us, you know, what I, what I shared with you. But here's some good news. You want to hear some good news? Here's some good news. The world needs today what it needed 1900 years ago, a revelation of Christ. 
A great work of reform is demanded, and it is only through the grace of Christ that the work of restoration, both physical, mental, and spiritual, can be accomplished. You see, folks, just to pause here, these drug companies are very sharp and clever, okay, because they've recognized that what these drugs do, and I can't remember the name of the exact one that was cited in the article, but what it does is it, it kind of basically turns a switch in your mind, okay, to, you know, help you to reduce eating or, you know, lose your appetite or, or whatever the case is. The problem is, is that it's very expensive, number one. But the other problem is that it doesn't develop character. Temperance is a character issue. But temperance is very difficult in the world in which we live in because there are so many temptations. Okay? And temperance simply means do that which, uh, partake of that which is healthy and in moderation, and that which is harmful abstain from altogether. Abstain from that which is harmful and do in moderation that which is beneficial to us. So is water good? Yes, water is good. But you can actually die from a water overdose if you take it too much too soon and too rapidly. Okay, so you get the idea. <clears throat> but what the world needs today is a fresh revelation of Christ to reach people on all, in all the dimensions of the human experience, the physical, the spiritual, the mental, and I would add the social, okay? And we could even put the emotional in there as well. Okay. So God is calling us to a tremendous, great work of reform. And why is the revelation of Christ so important today? Well, because the Bible says this. This is what's going on today. I believe the reason that we're seeing such an increase in anxiety and depression is because of what I'm going to share with you next. Okay. This is from the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 21, verses 25 and 26. And there will be signs in the sun and the moon and the stars and on the earth, distress of nations with perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring, men's heart failing them from fear, and the expectation of those things which are coming on the earth, for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Now that's a lot that's packed into those two verses, but essentially because of what people are seeing in the natural world, it's causing great distress. And of course, the scientists of today are interpreting things in a certain way. They're saying, hey, this is due to uh, you know, climate change or global warming, et cetera, et cetera. And it's causing people distress. You know, in our school systems, for example, our public school systems, there are children, young people, who've been raised on this since all throughout their lifetime. And they're just hearing this constantly, constantly, so much so that our young people now are going on school strikes. They're, they're, closing, they're saying, we're not going to go to school today. We're going to go march in the streets because you have to do something about this problem. And so there's great anxiety that's taking place in the world. Tremendous amounts of anxiety, so much so the Bible says that men's hearts are failing them from fear. Okay? 
But they need Jesus. Why? Because look at the very next verse. All this foreshadows the second coming of Christ. Here's what Luke says next in verses 27 and 28. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now when those things begin to happen, look up and lift up your heads because your redemption draws near. This is why we are to introduce people to Jesus and not to a religion. Because it doesn't say, then they will see the religion coming near in a cloud. <laughs> yeah, it's the Son of Man who's coming back, not a religion. We're to introduce people to a person. But here's the thing. If Jesus healed people, then guess what we are to be doing? We are to be bringing healing, a ministry of healing to somebody. Okay? There is a strategic purpose for the ministry of healing. How so? How do we present Jesus in the 21st century? How do we share Jesus in a world caught up in such a crisis that I've just described? Is there a specific method by which we can come close to the lost sheep of this world? How are we to influence people to follow Christ? Well, let's break this down. Ministry of Healing, page 143. <clears throat> We're told there is a need of coming close to the people by personal effort. If less time were given to sermonizing and more time were spent in personal ministry, greater results would be seen. And we're already seeing that. For example, the food pantry provides us a platform by which to come close to the people, right? Phil, when you were, you were describing, you were talking to this individual, <clears throat> you said you talked with him on the street next to his car, right? Yeah, he, he, wasn't, he didn't go to his car and you were inside shouting, you know, and he's telling you his woes and you're saying, well, don't worry and blah, 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 and you guys are shouting back and the neighbors are looking out, what's going on? This is crazy talk. No, you were with him right by his car, listening to him and then talking to him. And when you do that, it gains confidence. The person gains confidence in the individual sharing this news, okay? But the counsel we're given is this. There is a need of coming close to the people by personal effort. If less time were given to sermonizing and more time were spent in personal ministry, greater results would be seen. The poor are to be relieved, the sick cared for, the sorrowing and the bereaved comforting, comforted, the ignorant instructed, the inexperienced counseled. We are to weep with those that weep and rejoice with those that rejoice, accompanied by the power of persuasion, the power of prayer, the power of the love of God, this work will not, cannot be without fruit. In other words, we are guaranteed success if we follow this pattern. So it behooves us to follow this pattern because it's the pattern of Jesus. It's what Jesus did in the ministry of healing. But where do we place our emphasis? Some would say, well, we don't know. We don't know how to do this. Well, ministry of healing, page 149. Every church. How many churches? Every church. So should the college church be doing in this? 
be doing this? Up in South Lancaster? Should the Connecticut Valley Church be doing this? Should the Middletown Portland Church be doing this? Yes. Every church should be a training school for Christian workers. Its members should be taught how to give Bible readings, how to conduct and teach Sabbath school classes, how best to help the poor and to care for the sick, how to work for the unconverted. There should be schools of health. This is what I'm doing up at Camp Winnipeg. Okay? Rather than get one little church to do this, because of my conference position, I said, let's use a conference platform right there. So we're going to go up to Camp Winnipeg. How to work for the unconverted. There should be schools of health, cooking schools and classes in various lines of Christian health work. There should not only be teaching, but actual work under experienced instructors. Let the teachers lead the way in working among the people and others uniting with them will learn from their example. One example is worth more than many precepts. Okay? One example is worth more than many precepts. And a precept is simply, we should be doing this, we should be doing that, we should be doing this, we should be doing that. Well, just show me one example. If we just do that, just try that. Rather than coming up with a thousand things that we got to do. Okay? What are some things that churches can do? Well, here's that I've participated in in the 28 years of pastoral ministry, one called CHIP, that's the Complete Health Improvement Project, and that was started by Dr. Hans Deal. Uh, God rest his soul, he just went to his rest uh, recently, and he came here years ago when Hal Thompson was conference president, so that was uh, 26 years ago, something like that, um, 20 years ago. Uh, 22 years ago and whatnot, and he came and shared. He spoke, I believe, at camp meeting, but he also spoke to the pastors. My wife and I uh, worked with him very closely, and we started doing, we did the first CHIP program here in the Southern New England Conference out of the Danbury Church, okay? And that was very effective at reaching people, trying to help them with their health. We had an experience with uh, Susan Perigene's father. He was, had congestive heart failure, was on several medications. He went through the program. His doctor checked his numbers, said, what are you doing? And um, uh, Mr. Perigene said, well, this is what I'm doing. I've started making these lifestyle changes. And you know what the doctor said? The doctor said, you're lying. Yeah, they didn't believe him. The doctor said, you're lying. He said, no, doc, I'm not lying. This is what I've been doing, you know. And they were able to take him off some of his medications. Okay. The point is, is that there are things that we can do as a church to minister to the community. I'm not saying you're not doing anything. You're doing a tremendous work with what you have. Okay. But I shared this message with the Framingham Church and thought, you know, was strongly encouraged actually by my bride saying, you need to share this with Middletown Portland, okay? And so just wanted to share this here with you. So there's ministries like CHIP, and this is what we can do to build on what we've already, what you've already started here, okay? What are some others? Well, there's Breathe Free. Stop smoking class, okay? 
Uh, you can now conduct these online. And uh, we do have some folks, I notice, who smoke at our food pantry, so we can talk to them about doing this and inviting them, welcoming them to a Breathe Free program. There's uh, depression and anxiety recovery programs. Dr. Han, uh, what's his name? Uh, can't think of his name. Neil Nedley, Dr. Neil Nedley. He was at camp meeting this past summer at camp meeting, 2023. And so there's many of our church members, uh, Daryl Williams just received training in this. I've been trained to do this, okay? They've done it many years over at the Rockville Tallman Church. And they've had great success in helping people recover from depression and anxiety. And of course, there's cooking cl classes. My wife and I have done them, and she was looking very forward to doing these, but then she got hired by the Southern New England Conference, plus she's homeschooling two boys and trying to get one of them to graduate from high school. So we've kind of had to put that on hold, but we have Chef Deborah Queen, who's going to be conducting a class this coming fall. But you get the idea. There's a variety of things that can be done in addition to what you're currently doing. It's just a matter of getting the people and the resources to help out. And then, of course, there's chat. This is something that I've been personally involved with for the last six years. And it is a cycle of evangelism that uses the health message as the primary way of engaging in the community in order to befriend people and to uh, work with them. I have a, list, a set of the brochures. They're over there sitting on the table just outside the sanctuary. If you want to read more about it, you can get that brochure, look at it, check it out, read about it, study it, and uh, we can explore that. Because next year is the year of evangelism for Hartford and Connecticut. And even though we are in Portland, uh, we still are kind of within the shadow of Hartford, okay? And we can qualify for that, to engage in that. So there's all different kinds of things that can be done to, uh, to essentially do what we've been counseled to do in a 21st century setting. So here's what we're told, Ministry of Healing. Christ's method alone will give true success in reaching the people. The Savior mingled with men as one who desired their good. He showed his sympathy for them, ministered to their needs, and won their confidence. Then he bade them follow me. So all of these activities, really what they do is they create touch points, contact points with people, okay? If we were to just shut the doors, lock the doors, and just come here every week, once a week, and just look at ourselves and sing a few hymns, well, uh, we would die a very, very quick death, okay? But you're not dying. You're alive, okay? We have people who we're ministering to, and God has not forsaken or abandoned uh, what this church is trying to accomplish. It serves a very strategic purpose at a very strategic time in Earth's history. Okay? But there is a specific method that we are to follow, and that's Christ's method. And so the strategic purpose for the ministry of healing, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 9, verse 37 and 39, the harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. You know, I just want to ask you this question. 
And I made this appeal to Framingham Church yes, uh, last week. I'm not saying that you're not a laborer for Christ. Uh, Phil explained in the prayer time this story that he shared. Uh, I see many of you at the food pantry, okay? But what we want to do is just recommit ourselves to that task because there can be times of discouragement, times where we feel like, hey, wait a minute, I'm not sure, you know, how we're going to see God's blessing come out of this. But what we're simply called to do is to recommit and to rededicate ourselves to this task. And so I'd like to invite you to, to stand with me as I pray and uh, for this consecration, and then we'll sing our closing hymn. So let's stand and pray. If you want to rededicate yourself to being a laborer for Christ and sharing this message of hope and healing with the world. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for how you have labored for us. It's my prayer that the grace and the power of your Holy Spirit would be with us. We pray that you forgive us of our sins and grace us with your presence. And Lord, as we conclude this service, we pray that your blessing would be upon the labors that have been put forth thus far and that we would continue to labor in your strength in the ministry of healing. We thank you for hearing and answering this prayer. In Jesus' name, amen.